Y'all can be seated as you're being seated. Go ahead and find your Bibles. Open them up with me to Luke chapter 21. We're continuing to work through the uh, words and teachings of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And when we last left Jesus and the disciples, the uh, twelve disciples were a bit distraught. They had been looking around the temple and all the great things that were there at the temple. It was what they considered to be the center of the world, uh, their place of worship. And Jesus had just told them, everything you see here is going to come crashing down. It's all going to be torn down. It's all, it's all temporary. And so they then asked Jesus, well, can you tell us a little bit essentially about the future and what's going to be the signs of the end of the age and the coming of your kingdom? And you have to be careful when you ask the Son of God questions about the future uh, because, because the Son of God can tell you a little bit about what's going to come. And so Jesus told them the temple that they loved was going to be torn down, but it gets better. It gets even more intense that before the end of the age that they would experience nations fighting nations. There would be natural disasters. There would be uh, death and murder. Christians would be persecuted for their faith. Families would be torn apart to the degree that they would betray one another. Christians would die as martyrs. There would be society that was often filled with hate, evil on all sides. It just gets more and more encouraging, right? Jesus essentially says to the disciples, society as you know it is temporary because it has been saturated by sin. Now, here's, here's what you've got to understand about sin. Part of the result of sin is decay. And so we see this in our own physical bodies. Uh, we all sin. We all do things that we should not do. And so there is a natural decay to our lives. You start out young, you grow, you reach full maturity, and then there is this deterioration process that begins. Uh, some of you hadn't experienced that yet, but whenever you get to 40, there's some things that you couldn't do, that you can't do, that you used to could do, right? And whenever you get to 50, there's some things, that it, and eventually you grow old like me, okay? And so this all, this all kind of happens as part of the natural decay cycle. And so at the same time, the world that we're in is also experiencing the results of the saturation of sin. And Jesus says one day God will judge it. One day there will be the end of the world as we know it. But don't be dismayed. Don't let this depress you. Don't let this worry you. Because God is not going to simply destroy all things, but God is also going to make all things new for His glory. And so the creation, which today groans in bondage, and you read about this bondage in the news every day, will one day be free and it will dance in freedom. The return of Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ, it is more than just bumper stickers uh, or Kirk Cameron movies. Not anything against Kirk Cameron, he's a good guy. But uh, it's more than just bumper stickers and Kirk Cameron movies. The return of Christ is about the fulfillment of the soulful need that each of us have for faith, hope, and love. And so, in verse 29 of Luke 21, Jesus gives an object lesson. The Bible says, Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree. And all the trees, as soon as they put out leaves, 
you can see for yourselves and recognize that summer is already near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. I assure you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now let me ask you a question. What are you dealing with in your life right now that gives you that little nervous feeling? A little nervous feeling inside. If you're a student, maybe it's going back to school. It makes you just a little bit nervous. Maybe your children are getting older now and they are leaving high school and so you get that little nervous feeling when you think about helping them to adult. Maybe your children are 35, 40 years old and you're still helping them to adult and so that causes you to have a little bit of that nervous feeling. In my life, I get that nervous feeling whenever I think about uh, renovations, uh, chairs, lights, budgets, offerings. Uh, I get that little nervous feeling whenever I think about finding a new kids minister to serve here in our church. I get that little nervous feeling when I think about my father's health and appreciate your continued prayers for him. Uh, he did have a rough week this week, so I do appreciate your prayers for him. There are a lot of unknowns in life. And a lot of times, we begin to fear what might happen. We fear the what-ifs. And those fears of the what-ifs can, can cause a lot of angst in life. I, cause it, I call it the uh, fear of fear. The fear of fear frequently is worse than the fear itself. The other day, I had to go to the dentist to get a cavity filled. Everybody loves going to get a cavity filled, don't you? Now, the last time that I'd gone, the dentist had inadvertently struck a nerve, and so it was a little bit painful, and so I was dreading going to get that filling. Specifically, I was dreading the shot, because dentists can't just use normal shots like everybody else, right? They get their, their shots from the souvenir shop at Medieval Times or something like that. This big metal thing, and they stick it in your mouth, and then they don't just go and pull it out. They're like, you know, doing this whole artful thing, and just hold on, hold on. And uh, then after they fill you up with Novocaine, then they walk away for about 10 minutes to laugh at you. And so I, I was... I was Fearing this, I, I had fear of fear, and then the actual moment arrived, and I was nervous, and, and my dentist, Dr. Stampy, she gives me the shot, and it didn't even, I hardly even felt it, and I thought to myself, man, all this work up, all this lead up for this shot, and it really turns out to be hardly anything at all, and that happens a lot. The fear of fear grips us, and we worry about the what-ifs, and we find ourselves rehearsing it over and over and over again. And then whenever it actually happens, it's not nearly as bad. Now, Jesus knew that all this future talk was scary. And so he tells the disciples, look at this fig tree. Now, one thing you need to realize about the fig tree in Jesus' teaching is that Jesus often used the fig tree as a symbol for the nation of Israel. We find this is built upon in Hosea chapter 9, Jesus did this in Luke chapter 13 as well. 
And during the winter, the fig tree doesn't have any leaves at all. In fact, it's barren. It looks somewhat similar to our crepe myrtle trees that we're familiar with, just a, a bunch of sticks. And so the fig tree resembles or is a symbol for Israel. And as Jesus talks to the disciples, they are mindful of how Israel rejected Jesus. And he says, yes, the temple's going to be torn down. There is a new era coming where the Apostle Paul will take the gospel. It will go beyond Jerusalem. It will go to the Gentile nations. And I'm thankful for this era because eventually the gospel crossed the oceans. It came to Texas. It landed in my heart. I am a Gentile. I would imagine the vast, vast majority of us in the room today would be Gentile because we're not Jewish. And so Jesus is saying to the people of Israel, the gospel's going to go beyond. There is coming a time of winter, a time where the leaves are not sprouting. There are going to be times when we go through winter. You ever been through a season of winter in your life? One of those seasons where it just seems like nothing goes right? You face rejection, maybe in love, face rejection maybe in your career, and life just becomes stressful. Those relationships that are usually pretty easy, they just seem like work, and it feels like you are exhausted all the time. During those seasons of winter, it's easy to doubt. It's easy to lose hope. It's easy to feel all alone and unloved. What do you do during the season of winter? Well, there's three things that we can see here from the passage. In verse 30, whenever you go through the season of winter, know that summer is coming. There's that old saying, this too shall. And so Jesus tells them, look at the fig tree Realize that it's going to go through the winter season where there are no leaves, but one day those leaves will sprout again. One day summer will come again. And when you go through the season of winter, when life is cold and lonely, know that God often uses those seasons as times of preparation. Those times when life is hard and the relationships are a struggle and it seems like you're tired all the time, God often uses that within our hearts and within our soul to build something within us. Because when we endure the seasons of winter, then we become people of endurance. And whenever we become people of endurance, the scriptures both in Romans and in James tells us that whenever we become people of endurance, we become Christians of maturity. And whenever we reach that point of maturity, when we can begin to see the world through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of the Holy Spirit, that's when God can really begin to use our lives in ways that go beyond anything that we can imagine. So if you're in the season of winter today, let me encourage you that one day summer is coming. But also do not waste the season of winter because God is building something within you. He's preparing something and He can use you. There's a second thing that we should know. And that is that we should know that God is on His throne. In verse 31, uh, Jesus says, When you see all these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. 
Now, many times we do the exact opposite. When we see trouble and problems and famines or we hear, we hear of situations in the news that trouble us, we ask the question, where is God in all this? Where did God go? And Jesus says, you should realize the opposite is actually true. When you begin seeing society drift into the consequences of sin, it should be a reminder to you that the kingdom of God is near because God is going to do something about the darkness of this world that we cannot do. Perhaps it is difficult to recognize the kingdom of God sometimes because its thrones can take the form of a cross. And within the kingdom of God, God often calls us to humble service instead of of glorified roles of look at me. Now here's the whole point of Jesus talking about the future. He's not trying to scare you. He's not trying to keep you awake at night. He wants you to know that He is in control, that His kingdom is drawing near, that history is His story, that God is the creator of all, He is sovereign over all, and He will assert His will. The creator of Genesis became the Savior of Calvary, and He will become the King of Kings. And know this, Know this, whenever you go through those difficult times, know this, it seems really simple. You're not God. You're not, now doesn't that seem simple? You're not God. And yet it's very difficult in our own lives sometimes. Think about how, how many times when you pray, you take the role of the, uh, I don't want to say take the role of God, but you kind of take the role of just dictating to God what you want. And, and you're like, okay, God, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this, and I need this, and I need it now, okay? And, and we fail to realize that the heart of prayer, Jesus told us to bring our request to the Lord, but the heart of prayer is actually spending time with the Lord. And whenever you spend time with the Lord, the Lord begins to mold you and shape you and sometimes bend your will so that we're able to have strength and perspective that comes from Him. A third thing that you can do, in winter. Verse 33 says to remember, to know that God's word will not pass away. He says in verse 32, I assure you this, this generation will certainly not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now these are confusing verses. And so you say, what is Jesus talking about here? Well, there are a couple of different thoughts. Some would understand this as a reference to the temple being destroyed in A.D. 70, and he's telling the disciples that your generation will be here when the temple is destroyed. A second understanding is the idea that the generation of Jews that comes to know Christ during the tribulation season, that the people of Israel who come to be believers in Christ during the time of great tribulation, that they will be there when heaven and earth passes away. They will be there when the second coming occurs. And I think, in my own understanding, this is what Jesus is talking about. That in the last days, Israel, the fig tree, will begin to sprout leaves. And there will be many people from Israel 
who come to believe in Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And these people will be witnesses to the ends of the world as described in verses 25 through 28. But now, the words of God will never pass away. Though the heavens and the earth will pass away, though God will create great seismic shifts, though all things will become new, the words of God will never pass away. And so the promises that were made by God in antiquity, promises to Abraham and Isaac, promises to Rebekah, Moses, David, these covenants between God and His people, they will not pass away. And there is coming a season of summer when Christ will reign over His creation and the promises of God that were made through prophecies and covenants of the Old Testament will be fulfilled. So look at verse 34. Jesus tells us now, Be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled. Anybody ever feel like you have a dull mind? (laughs) I'm not saying you're dull, okay. But he says, be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled from what? From carousing, drunkenness, and worries of life. Or that day will come on you unexpectedly, like a trap. For it will come on all who live on the face of the whole earth. But be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Whenever you know what's coming, then you know what to look for. So Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to occur at the end of the age. And when you know what's coming, then you know what to look for. I remember whenever Stacy and I gave birth to our first child, Karis. Actually, I didn't give birth to Karis, but Stacy, Stacy did. I was cheerleading through the whole process. But uh, it was our first child. We had prayed for Karis for ten years. It's a cool story. And then uh, Karis, Karis is born. I was a nervous wreck through the entire pregnancy, an absolute nervous wreck, uh, because I just wanted everything to go right. And we were so prepared. We had our birth plan. You know, you know, come to the hospital, here's our birth plan. You know, we emailed out to the parent, this is how it's going to go. We had everything, everything in order. We, we had the nursery absolutely perfect. Stacy designed the most amazing nursery uh, for Karis. Every detail was planned. And we were also really, really nervous because we didn't know what to expect. It was the first time we'd ever, ever gone through this. Well, fast forward the clock, and then there's little Camden's birth. By the time Camden was born, we knew what to expect. And so Stacy goes into labor, and we have dinner. And after she finishes dinner, I say, well, do you think we ought to head to the midwife's place? And she says, yeah, I think it's about time to go. And so we pull into the uh, birthing center at 11 p.m., and we head out with that little child at 3.22 in the morning. I'm tell, that's actually truth, I'm telling you, you know, four hours, no need, to, no need to lollygag there, just have the baby get home, move on, move on with life, you know, we got work to do, so uh, we, didn't, we, didn't even, we didn't even design the nursery, 
because we knew the little guy was going to be in our bedroom for the first six months anyway. No need to have a nice nursery because it's going to take a while before he moves in. So, so you know, we knew what to expect, so we weren't nervous, we weren't full of anxiety because we had been through it. Listen, if you know summer is coming, if you know that God is on His throne, if you know His Word is never going to fade away, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be nervous. You don't have to be worried about everything. Instead, Jesus says, be on your guard, be alert, be looking for it, be anticipating it, be looking forward to the fact that one day Christ is going to make all things new for His glory for all eternity. That one day uh, the bondage of creation will be released. One day we will live with God in a world that is not saturated by so much darkness and justice. And so Jesus says, make sure that you're on guard so that your minds are not dulled by three things here. Carousing, drunkenness, and the worries of life. Don't get so caught up in all of this that you think this is all there is. Don't get so caught up in all the worries of today that you begin resorting to escapism to somehow try to escape the stresses of this world. What Jesus is saying here is the 180 degree opposite of a spring break t-shirt. Instead of life is tough, go get drunk, forget about it and have a party. Jesus says, life is tough, drink some coffee, stay alert, hold the faith, and know I'll be back. Now, I put the part in there about coffee because I like coffee, but that's essentially what Jesus is saying. Yeah, life is going to be tough, but you, you be alert and hold the faith and know that, that I'll be back. Okay, let's get, let's get something straight about the end of the world stuff, okay? No man knows the day or the hour, but you can know the signs of the times. And Jesus didn't teach us to ignore the second coming. I find that in the American church today, the second coming is pretty well ignored and not talked about very much. Now, there's a couple reasons for this. Number one, because we don't want to be identified with the rainbow hair guy with the 316 sign at the golf tournament. Okay? So we're like, okay, those folks are a little bit crazy. We don't want to be identified with them, and so we just don't talk about it. However, the Scriptures talk about it. And so if the Scriptures talk about it, we need to talk about it. Okay? The second thing is, some of these Scriptures can be complex. These are some difficult Scriptures to interpret and difficult Scriptures to Look at. In fact, there's a, there was a theologian back during the Reformation period. His name was John Calvin. And John Calvin wrote a commentary on every book of the Bible. And when he got to the book of Revelation, his commentary was basically, I have no clue what that one means. Okay? I, I don't know. I don't know. And, and so, so many, many theologians, by the way, I don't wear that label on my theology, so don't get scared. But uh, many, many theologians uh, have come to the end times and said, I just don't know, and we tend to ignore it 
But Jesus taught us to look for it and be ready for it. Why? Because Christ's return is not just the happy addendum, they all lived happily ever after part of the gospel. Christ's return is a part of the gospel. God, motivated by his love, sent his son. His son lived a life that you and I could never live, was crucified for your sins and mine, making an atonement, absorbed the wrath of God intended for sin onto himself, took that wrath into the grave. The grave could not contain it. He rose again, he ascended, and he's coming again to make all things new. That is the story of the gospel. Yet when we talk about the gospel, we often truncate it and we stop it either at the cross or the empty tomb. And because of that, we don't have a well-developed understanding of hope. Hope beyond just a better tomorrow or a better job. Hope that lasts forever. Hope that takes you through the funeral. Hope that takes you through the sickness. Hope that takes you through the winter. And Jesus said, many Christians are so consumed with the here and now that you're going to miss the reality and the beauty and the joy and the goodness of eternity. I was watching TV the other day and I came across ESPN and they were remembering the Cowboys Packer, Cowboys versus Packers divisional playoff game from 2017. You guys remember that game? No? Yeah, you blocked it out. It was so it was so nightmarish. Sorry to rub that, tear that scab off, but uh, Aaron Rodgers broke my heart that day. That was when he threw that pass, and the guy tight roped the sidelines and caught it, and it knocked the Cowboys out of out of the playoff. And I remember when I was watching the game how nervous and anxious I was. You know, whenever you get in a game, you start pacing. You know, and you like can't sit in the chair anymore, and you start pacing, and then you do the dead cobra. You know, so I was doing the, when we caught that pass, I was like, you know, the dead cobra. Uh, and so you, you kind of go through all those emotions of the game, and I was, I was living all that. After that game was over, it took me two days to get over it, because my, I just had to sort out my emotions with it all. I, I was wounded, and, and, and it was hard. And now, here we are, a couple years later, I, I rewatched the game, and as I watched it, I wasn't nervous at all. You know Why? Because I know that's going to end. I, I already know it. So as we, as we think about what's going on in the news and we think about some of the circumstances in our world, as Christians, whenever you know how it's going to end, it allows you to take a deep breath. Just relax and carry on in hope. One of the subtle themes of the New Testament is that you don't have to be tied up in knots all the time. You don't have to be in the grip of worry all the time. You, you can have joy no matter what the circumstances. And so I, I want to close with two readings from Scripture today. The first is found in Matthew chapter 5. It's at the very end of the Beatitudes, part of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus has been going through these series of blessed are, blessed are, and so you, you find these, these beautiful sayings, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then he reaches verse 11 and he says, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Now, have you ever really thought about that verse? Jesus says, when they insult you and persecute you and say bad things about you, you're blessed. That's hard. That's hard. 
At the end of the sermon, if you guys come up to me and say, that was awful, Ash. That was terrible. And by the way, if those chairs don't get in here in the next couple of weeks, then we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to torture you. If you say that to me, it's going to be hard for me to say, I am just so blessed to be a part of Murphy Road. That's going to be hard. But Jesus says you are blessed when they, when they do these things to you. Why? He says be glad and rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. When you understand the end, when you understand what's coming, even though you go through difficulty today, you can still be blessed, you can be glad, you can rejoice because you know that this is not all that there is. There is a hope that goes beyond. I also want to read to you Philippians chapter 4. Philippians is one of the most encouraging books in the entire New Testament. Whenever I'm a little bit downtrodden in my spirit, I go to Philippians because there's just so much encouragement in that book. And in chapter 4 and verse 4, here's what the Apostle Paul wrote. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. So if you're reading the Bible and it essentially says, I'll say it again, then you might want to pay attention to what it's saying again. And so Paul says that we are to rejoice in the Lord. And when are we to rejoice? Always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now that word rejoicing, it comes from the idea of having joy. Joy is anchored to purpose. Joy is more than happiness because happiness is based on happenings. Joy is something where you have a purpose no matter what is happening. And out of that joy that we have in Christ, the Scriptures say that we can rejoice and we can rejoice in the Lord always. And don't lose sight of this. Don't forget this. Don't miss this. Don't sleep through this. Don't be thinking about what's for lunch. Don't miss this part. Rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and this is how we know that you're rejoicing. Verse 5, let your graciousness be known to everyone, the Lord is near. When you're rejoicing in the Lord, there is a graciousness about you. There is grace that is demonstrated through your actions and through your words that is seen to by everyone. And whenever you're around, you remind them the Lord is near. Do you know anybody like that? Whenever you're around them, there's just a sense of joy. There's a sense of, of godliness, a spiritual depth to them that when you're talking to them and in, your pres- in their presence, you're like, man, I can just, there's something there that I want. The Lord is near. That's what happens when we rejoice in the Lord. We become that person. And then verse 6 says, don't worry about anything. Now, I'm tracking pretty good with the don't worry stuff, but then it gets to that word anything. Don't worry about anything, but in everything. You see the contrast? Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. So what is it that causes you to have that nervous feeling? What is it that causes you to worry? What is it that keeps you up at night? What is it? The Scriptures say, don't worry about anything. You say, but hold on, I, 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 I have serious problems. Okay, well, it also gave us something to do. 
You see, worry is an unhealthy expression of love. But God has given us a healthy way to express our concerns, and that is prayer. And so the scriptures say, when you're tempted to worry, when you're tempted to be anxious, rather than worrying about it, go to God in prayer. And go to God bringing your request, and with a thankful heart, let your request be made known to God. And then verse 7, don't miss this, and the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In the earlier passage, Jesus told us to be on guard, to look for His coming, to know that one day He will return. Here, He says, when we draw near to God in prayer, the peace of God will guard our hearts, protect our minds in Christ Jesus, so that we might have the perspective of God, the hope of eternity, and live it out in the reality of today. I deeply, deeply pray for you to have that peace. I wish I could take away the concerns. I wish I could take away the struggle. I wish life could just be simple for you. But I know that God is doing something even in the midst of the struggle. And I know that God tells us not to live our life consumed with worry or fear, but instead to draw near to Him. And that He can provide for us a peace that passes our understanding. That His love will never leave you nor forsake you. And that through Him, you can rejoice in the Lord even when times are difficult. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? Musicians are going to come and they're going to lead us in singing. I'll be here at the front today if there's anything I can pray with you about. If today you need to make a decision to trust in Christ as your Savior and Lord, I'd love to be a pastor and help you with that decision. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you, and we look at a passage of Scripture that in some ways is difficult. It's challenging. And yet, Father, we see within it there is so much hope and so much strength, so much perspective. And I pray that you might Help us to live today with the perspective of eternity. Help us to realize that hope is more than just wishful thinking, that eternity is more than just something that comforts us whenever we are grieving, but eternity is real, and that through Christ we have hope that goes beyond any circumstance. And so I pray that we might take a deep breath, have a calmness of our spirit, Father, may you drain us of the anxiety and help us to know that you are in control. Father, I pray for those parents that might be concerned about the upcoming school year. I pray for young students that are venturing out into adulthood and the responsibilities and pressures that come with it. I pray for the one that is grieving, for the one that is ill, for the one that feels lonely, for the one that is hurting. For the individual that's going through a season of winter where it just seems like life is really difficult. And I pray that you might bring warmth to the cold. I pray, Father, that you might allow us to experience your peace. And may we have a peace that passes our own understanding. May you bring calm to our thoughts, gentleness to our spirit, so that we might have a graciousness that is seen by all because we know the Lord is near. And so, Lord, I pray for comfort, 
for healing, for fresh perspective, for strength. I pray, Father, that you'll help us not to miss the lessons. Help us to be alert. And Lord, we look forward to that day when you deliver the world from evil and darkness and injustice. And we see you face to face for all eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we worship. Amen.